0: It is an honor to be with you this day and to bring God's Word to you. Uh, it's been great uh, getting to know your congregations here in the Pensacola area uh, a little bit. And uh, I bring greetings from my own church in Birmingham, Alabama, Trinity Presbyterian. If you are ever passing through Birmingham, we'd love to have you come and uh, visit with us. And, uh, of course, it's great to be celebrating Yuri's 10-year anniversary here at Providence. Yuri has already beaten the odds. Uh, I think the average pastorate uh, in the United States lasts less than five years, uh, so it's, it's certainly an accomplishment worth celebrating. I've been blessed getting to know Yuri uh, over the years, as, uh, as I've been blessed in getting to know the other pastors here, Al and Rob uh, as well. Uh, certainly we've, we've all been blessed by Yuri's singing. Uh, I love to stand next to Yuri when we're singing because I don't have to hear myself at all, <laughs> which is a real blessing uh, it's very clear that God has done great things in both of your congregations. He continues to do great things, uh, in your congregations. It's very clear God has blessed you with tremendous leadership. And, uh, that's what I really want to talk about this morning. Uh, I should mention one other thing. Yuri and I have, uh, been partners in crime. Uh, as you might know, we've done a book together, and uh, I really, really appreciate Yuri's contribution there because it never would have gotten out the door if it was just up to me. Uh, so very thankful for that. And really, it's not just the Ruth commentary. Really, even before that, the church-friendly family you made happen as well. So really appreciative uh, to Yuri for that. And Rob's kind of been my partner in crime in another way uh, as the presiding minister pro Tim. I'm the presiding minister of uh, Athanasius Presbytery, and uh, Rob... Uh, has been the pro-tem now and has done a wonderful job, done wonderful work in our presbytery, uh, as well as I know in his local congregation in Pace. So uh, you're surrounded by great men, great leaders, and that's really what I want to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, it is worth celebrating the pastorate, it is worth celebrating the leadership that God provides for His people. It's good for pastors to reflect upon their job description, their job responsibilities. And it's good for you as people, as members of a congregation, to reflect on your responsibilities, your job description as it were. What do pastor and people owe one another? Hebrews 13 helps us answer that. So I want to read a couple verses here from Hebrews 13. Verses 7 and 17. These verses really encapsulate the pastor, flock, Relationship. So let me read these two verses for us. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. This is the word of the Lord. God. Let's pray. Father, we do, we do ask that you would bless us this day, that your spirit would be at work as your word has been read and now as it is proclaimed, that you would work among us and in our hearts with power, that the pastors here, representing the very authority of Christ himself, might live and serve faithfully, and that the members gathered here, the members of two congregations, might know what it means to be a part of your church, to be submissive to the authority you've put in place in the church, to consider the example and imitate the example that is put before them, and so to be faithful followers of Christ Jesus. We pray that you would work these things for us in our midst. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Hebrews 13. Uh, helps us to understand the role of the pastor, the role of the people in the church, and the relationship between the pastor and the people. You know, we hear so much bad news uh, about the church today. Uh, If the church is going to make the headlines, you know it's going to be for something bad, something that's gone wrong. We hear about terrible pastors, pastors who do not teach what the Bible says, Teaches, who aren't faithful to the scriptures, who don't uh, carry out the charge given to them, pastors who abuse their power in some way, abuse their office. And, of course, we also hear about sins and scandals in the congregation. Uh, so often we hear what is wrong with the church. Pastors who complain about their people, people who complain about their pastors. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. Hebrews 13 paints a very different picture Uh, In fact, it gives us a very glorious, very joyous picture of what church life should look like when pastor and people are in harmony with one another, when pastor and people are being faithful to God. Hebrews 13 tells us what pastors are to do, and it tells the people what they are to do as well. So let's look at each of these things. I'm going to spend the vast majority of the time this morning talking about pastors, but at the end I'll come in and talk about the people. But I think you'll see how this applies to all of us. What is the job of the pastor? Most pastors I know hate to get that question. So what do you do? What's your average week look like? (laughs) Because there really is no such thing for the pastor. But we do have a very nice job description of the pastor here in Hebrews 13. Several things here are mentioned. First in verse 7 we learn pastors must be teachers. They speak the word of God to the people. Remember those who have spoken the word of God to you, People need guides. Pastors are to be trustworthy guides who speak Scripture into the lives of the people, who help people see reality for what it is. You know, the world is constantly evangelizing us, as it were. The world is constantly trying to convert us to its way of thinking. The world is constantly trying to squeeze us into its own mold. But the world is lying to us. Your pastor speaks the truth. He's given to you to speak truth into your life. That's what a pastor does. He speaks the Word of God into the lives of the people. Your pastor is going to tell you the way things really are and the way things really ought to be. Pastors are heralds of the Gospel. What is this Word of God they speak? It's fundamentally the Gospel, the way of salvation, the story of Christ Jesus, His death and resurrection and ascension and reign and return for our salvation. Pastors proclaim grace to sinners. They proclaim forgiveness to sinners. This is the Word of God the pastor brings to you. A word you can't hear anywhere else. There's not forgiveness In the world, the world is all law. There's no grace there. But pastors come with a word of grace on their lips, announcing God's mercy to us all. Your pastor points to the way of salvation. That's what a pastor is. He's a pointer, he's a pointer to Christ. And in doing this, your pastor, of course, not only shows you how your sins are forgiven in Christ, your pastor also helps you to live well in the world. As he unfolds the Scriptures and applies the Scriptures to your life, as he speaks the Word of God to you comprehensively, how the Word of God speaks to every area of life, he shows you how you can live a faithful life in everything you do. The pastor's job is to describe the world for us in terms of the Word to redescribe the world for us in the Bible's terms, to give us the Bible's interpretation of reality, which is to say he gives us God's interpretation of reality, which is to say he gives us the truth. That's the job of the pastor as he speaks the Word of God. He helps us to follow Christ faithfully because, because he tells us the true story of the world. You, if you're a church member, you are a disciple of Jesus, you are an apprentice of Jesus. Your pastor represents Jesus to you, training you in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, your pastors are not infallible, of course. Uh, I'm not infallible, your pastors here are not infallible. And so part of your job as a member of the church is to be a good Berean, as we put it. Uh, To be like the Bereans who, when they heard Paul preach... Tested everything He said against the Scriptures. That's part of what you have to do. But look at what Hebrews says again. Pastors speak the very Word of God to you. Which means the pastor speaks with authority. That's why Hebrews 13 says, Submit to those who rule over you. The pastor speaks with authority because God has made him His own spokesman in a special way, in a unique way. And so when he explains and when he exhorts and when he warns and when he rebukes you need to listen. The pastor is speaking God's word to you. Just one example of this, the power of the pastor as he is faithful in his charge. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 25 to 26. Paul says there writing to Timothy a pastor says the servant of the Lord, so that's the pastor here, the servant of the Lord, the pastor, must humbly correct those who are in opposition so that God might grant them repentance and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. What is Paul saying there? He's saying those who won't listen to their pastors are out of their minds <laughs> and they're ensnared by the devil. Paul says, listen to the servant of the Lord. Listen to the pastor to his humble, corrective word. That's how you come to your senses. That's how you escape the traps of the devil, the devil's snares. Listen to your pastor. In our therapeutic age, it is especially important for pastors to boldly and directly declare God's Word. You know, in the modern era, it was reason that was put in the place of Scripture. Man's mind was exalted to the authority, became the alternate authority to the Word of God. In our postmodern age, feelings have now displaced the Word of God as our authority. That's really our cultural authority. Feelings. Who can argue with feelings? Feelings have been put in the place of Scripture, the Word of God. Feelings have become the new standard, the new authority. Who can argue with feelings? You know, I think therefore I am has been replaced by I feel therefore I am. And so today, really, we've got, uh, you know, for most people, their goal is not living better, but feeling better. That's really what it means to live in a therapeutic age. People just want to feel good. It doesn't matter what you do, you just want to feel good about it. People want to be comfortable and happy and fulfilled. They want a pain free life. That's what we're entitled to, right? To feel good. In a therapeutic age, that's how we view things. And we've now got a whole generation of people who go by their feelings, who don't know how to think, who don't know how to submit to anything other than their own urges and impulses and feelings. If it feels good, it must be right. That's the philosophy of the world. People are certainly not in any kind of position where they see good in submitting to an authority outside of themselves. But pastors break into that. They crash into that. They stand against that. Pastors, of course, are an outside authority, and they represent an authority that comes from the outside. And pastors speak not only to your minds, but to your feelings, and say, this is what reality is. This is what God says about how you should think, how you should feel, how you should live. An authority has been set over us in the church to speak truth to us, including hard truths that don't feel good to hear, hard truths about sin and suffering, about repentance and obedience. But God has put pastors in the church for this reason, so that our reason, our thinking, and so that our feelings, our emotional lives will be reshaped and transformed and restored so that we can think and feel the way God wants us to think and feel, the way God designed us to think and feel. You know, the reality is an outside authority is necessary to any human flourishing. Without a conductor, the symphony is just a cacophony. Without a coach, the football team can't run a play. Without a captain, the ship can't sail. And without a pastor representing Christ's authority, the church loses her direction. She loses her way. She becomes like the world. God has built hierarchy into the fabric of the world and into the fabric of the church. And so listen to those God has put over you to speak God's Word to you, those who rule over you. Be submissive to them. This is why pastors and the pastoral office must be respected. Again, Hebrews 13.17 says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive to them. Pastors have a genuine authority. Let them play that role. Yield to their authority in your life in these ways. But there's something else here, we're told in Hebrews 13, about the pastor, about the elders, about the rulers in the church. They are to set an example before the congregation, an example worthy of imitation. So verse 7 says, imitate their faith. Here their faith is not just what they believe, but it's how they live. Imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of their lives. Consider the results of how they live. The consequences of how they live. Consider the fruit their lives bear. Imitate their faith. Imitate their way of life. Copy them. What you see your pastor doing, that's what you're to do. Now obviously this puts a big burden on the pastor. But pastors are leaders. Which means others are to follow their example. And of course, it's what Paul says to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. A pastor can only be a good leader if he himself is a follower. He must follow Christ so you can imitate him as he imitates Christ. Congregations do tend to become like their leaders for better or for worse. Every teacher becomes like his master. Jesus taught us that. You're going to become like your teachers. So what are the leaders in the church like? Well, I can tell you what the leaders in your church are like. They are setting before you an example worthy of imitation. Consider their lives. Consider the outcome of their lives. Consider the fruit their lives are bearing. We know from other places in Scripture that, that lay down the specific qualifications for officers that officers are to have exemplary family lives. So imitate them in their family life. You know, you can tell a lot about a man by walking in his garden, so to speak. So look at his wife and at his children. Look at their joy. Look at the way they live. Look at the way they work together. Imitate the family life of your leaders. He's setting an example for you in this way. Your pastors are servants. They live among you as servants. This is what a pastor must be. must be a servant. Leaders in Scripture are always servants. Leadership takes the form of servanthood. That's really the lesson that James and John had to learn. We read this in our Gospel lesson this morning in Mark 10. They thought, oh, if we're in charge, we're the leaders, we'll get to boss people around. We'll have authority. We'll get to tell people what to do. That'll be great. Other people will suffer for us. But no, Jesus says that's not how leadership in the kingdom works. That's not how leadership in the church works. To be a leader, you've got to stoop to serve. You're going to suffer on behalf of others. James and John wanted to be great, but they thought greatness meant getting others to serve them. And Jesus explains, it's really the other way around. Jesus wants them to be great too. They want to be great. Jesus wants them to be great too. Jesus says, go be great. But this is how you attain greatness. It's through service. It's through sacrificial love. It's when you learn to practice sacrifice. That's when you're really attaining greatness. Or as Mother Teresa put it, do you want to be great? Then pick up a broom and sweep the floor. And that's the calling of the pastor. To sweep the floor of your life, so to speak. To deal with all your messes, all your difficulties, all your struggles. Don't hide those things. Bring those things to your pastor so your pastor can serve you well by getting down into the dirty crevices of your life. That's what they're here to do. The fact is, you cannot truly command others unless you command yourself first. You can't rule others unless you rule yourself. If you can't rule yourself, you're unfit to rule others. If you can't oversee yourself, you can't oversee others. And again, this is why there are such clearly marked out qualifications for leaders in the church. Because if these are going to be the kinds of people who put their imprint on the congregation, the kinds of people the rest of us are called to follow, they've got to be men of high character and wisdom. They've got to be men who serve. You cannot demand people to submit to you or to your office simply because of what the office is. You might be able to do that for a little bit, say, hey, you have to submit to me because of this office I have, but that's only going to get you so far. In the end, what people really are willing to submit to is character. It's a lifestyle. And that's what you see again and again in Scripture. The office demands a certain way of life if it is to be fulfilled filled effectively so obviously this is something that pastors have to see about themselves again and again if we want people to respond to our leadership we have to lead in a certain way we have to be a certain kind of men but i would tell you you have these kinds of men in your midst men who are worthy of imitation worthy of submission And one other way here that I think they set an example before you and become worthy of your imitation and your submission, pastors have to be diligent. Pastors have to be models of hard work. I've actually known some lazy pastors over the years. You know, it's the proverbial inside job with no heavy lifting. Uh, but that's not really what a faithful pastor is. A faithful pastor, and this is something you see in the Apostle Paul, he counsels Timothy and Titus in this way, a faithful pastor is a hard worker. And he's a hard worker because he understands the magnitude of the task. Your pastor's job is to teach you this whole book. To teach you the whole counsel of God. Your pastor is to help you understand how God wants you to live in every area of your life. Your pastor's job is to get down into the messes of your life and help you repent of your sins, to see what your sins are, and to turn from them. It's a big job. And look, you know what the biblical reward is for a job well done? The biblical reward for doing your job well is an even bigger job. That's the parable of the talents, right? If you're faithful with what's been entrusted to you your reward you know if you do that job well it's a bigger job you fulfill your responsibilities well well guess what your reward is even greater responsibilities that's how it works you're given more and more pastors are men pastors are to be men who set an example of working hard they don't make excuses you know it's been said virtue dies the death of a thousand qualifications while vice lives on through a thousand excuses. The kind of leadership described for us in Hebrews 13, these are not leaders who make excuses for themselves. If they sin, which they will when they sin, they're going to confess it and repent. And in that way, even in their failures, they are models worthy of imitation. But more than that, they're going to be men who live faithfully among you by working hard. And all of this is how pastors do what Hebrews 13 describes as keeping watch over your souls. That's the job of the pastor, right? To to oversee the souls of the people. They teach, they lead, they set an example, and they do all these things as those who must give an account of your souls. These men right over here, and myself too, The pastor's in your midst. We will have to stand before Jesus at the last day and give an account for each of the souls under our care. That's the burden we bear. We will have to give an account. And this is why when your pastor checks in on you, he's not being a busybody. He's not being nosy. He's just doing his job. When he asks you those hard questions, he's just doing his job. He'll have to give an account for how he has cared for you. All elders will. Pastors, I think this is interesting, it says give an account, like pastors are accountants. Pastors do with people what accountants do with numbers. What do accountants do with numbers? They track numbers. I mean, a good accountant loves numbers. He loves doing the math. He loves engaging with numbers. That's what accountants do. In the same way, pastors do this with people. Pastors, true pastors, track their people. They love their people. They keep an eye on their people. They know where their people are and what they're up to. They engage in soul care, as the, pastors, as the as the Puritans put it. That's how the Puritans describe the work of the pastor. It's soul care. Now, let's turn this around for just a moment. What about the people? If that's the job of the pastor, that's what I'm called to do and these men here, what about you all? Obviously, everything I've said about the job of the pastor, it helps you understand your own calling as members of a congregation. The job description of the congregation is going to correspond to the job description of the pastor. If pastors are to lead, congregants follow. If pastors rule, congregations submit. If pastors teach, the people listen and learn. If pastors set an example worthy of imitation, the members must imitate that example. If pastors are to command, the congregation is to obey. If pastors preach the free grace of salvation in Christ, the people are to believe that message. So it goes together. But there's one more thing here. I want to close with this. One more thing here to notice in Hebrews 13. Uh, Hebrews 13 adds on uh, as part of the job description of the people uh, to recognize. It's there in verse 17. It says to the people, Obey your leaders... So obey your leaders in the church and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be of no advantage to you. What's your job? It's to make their job a joy. What's the job of the congregation? It's to make the pastor's job a joy. So if you go to Providence, it is your job to make Al and Yuri's job a joy. If you go to Christ church, it's your job to make Rob's job a joy. That's what it is. It'd be no advantage to you to do otherwise. To give them grief? That's not to your advantage. That doesn't help you. No, it is your calling to make their job a joyful one. And so in this way, They can take joy in you, and you can have joy in them. And so the whole church, pastor and people, can be what God wants it to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.